On today's episode of Tips from the Top Floor, we'll look into a really profound realization that has to do with how we learn and how that has changed my approach to teaching. Also, Alan and I try to find out how obsolete we are. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 904 for April the 16th, 2021. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right. It's good to be back. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Um, yeah, let's see. Um, not, no, house, no housekeeping. To, no, not a single bit of housekeeping today. Um, let's see. I've been doing photography on and off for about 30 to 35 years. And uh, up to... Up to 2005, that was as an avid amateur. And after that, as a professional, which, <laughs> which at least in the beginning, simply meant I was taking money for it. That's my definition for uh, what a professional is. The term professional, I don't think has any other meaning than you're taking money for it. I've seen good pros and I've seen really bad pros and I've seen really good amateurs. and I've seen really bad amateurs in my time. Um, anyway, <laughs> what I wanted to get to is, is actually something else. Um, there are a few things that I realized over the years. The things you learn along the way. And of course, um, one of them is that pretty much everyone goes through similar stages of learning. And... I learned that by teaching. I've, uh, I've, <laughs> I've learned so much just by teaching others, um, which, again, I can only recommend. If you want to learn something, try to teach it. So anyway, there are some very typical stages of learning photography that I've, I've witnessed over and over again. And uh, teaching photography for, for over 15 years and keeping in touch with some of those people um, and then being able to witness their progress over time, well, first of all, that's a privilege, but it also allowed me to to find patterns. And while definitely not every single person adheres to those patterns, they, there are always a few who skip steps. But in general, there's a clear pattern um, on how people progress through learning photography. So that's what I want to talk about today. Um, what... Does it take to make you a better photographer? And is it possible to skip any of those stages? Is there a way to speed up the process? And, well, let's figure this out. So, uh, I, I, let me see. Uh, let, me, let me kick this off with a quote that I've read in, in several different versions over the years. But in general, the, the, gist is, the gist of it is amateurs worry about equipment, professionals worry about money, and masters worry about light. And there is, is a certain level of truth to that. Um, so th there are these three distinct phases in becoming a better at photography. There's the amateur phase, the professional phase, and the master phase. I'm super simplifying here, of course. Um, but the one I want to pick out today is the amateur phase, the amateur photographer, which is which is where I believe the majority of you are at this point. Uh, I know there's a decent amount of professionals uh, listening to this, but without really knowing the numbers based on based on workshops and tours and conversations, uh, I would guess it's it's probably likely that 
80% of you are not professional photographers. And that's awesome because, because being an amateur also means that you have a lot of potential ahead of you. Um, amateur, the word. It's interesting what connotation we give to that term versus what it really means. Uh, in general, we consider someone an amateur if they... Uh, if they don't know what they're doing, right? Someone's amateurish in doing something or if they don't know how to do something good. And, uh, well, there might be just a little bit of truth to that. I really like the word amateur for its original meaning. It uh, originates from the French, amateur, the French word. Uh, comes from, I think, sometime in the 18th, 1800s, 18th century even. Anyway, amateur, or, or the Italian amatore, which basically translates to uh, being a lover of something, someone who really loves something. So that's just a way to say that you do something simply because you love it. And the only reason of doing it is because you love it. And that's maybe the purest, most beautiful reason for doing something, pure love. So... Uh, doing something in an amateur way doesn't necessarily say anything about how good you are. But then, on the other hand, I'm talking about developments here. Let's be honest, with many things that we do, it takes a bit of time and practice and effort and sweat and tears to become better at something. So chances are, just statistically, that at the beginning, you're just not very good at what you do. That's a normal part of the learning process, to not be good at the beginning at first. And chances are that during that phase, you kind of know that you aren't really good. At least that's what I hope for, uh, some self-reflection. But then, honestly, I have also met a few photographers in my time who, who really believed they were good, but who weren't. So there's always that chance... Uh, uh, to be caught in something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The, the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think John Cleese said it best. So let me let me play that for you here. Um, this is from an from a discussion that he and Eric Idle had on stage uh, a short while ago. And I worked with or have taught a bit with a fellow called David Dunning, who is a social psychologist whom I adore, who's come up with a theory that explains the world better than any other theory. He says he's discovered that he's been fascinated by how good people are at knowing how good they are at doing things. <laughs> Self-assessment. He's discovered that in order to know how good you are at something requires almost exactly the same skills as it does to be good at it in the first place. <laughs> so that if you're absolutely no good at something, you lack exactly the skills that you need to know you're no <laughs> Yeah, the Dunning-Kruger effect, to realize that you're good at something requires almost the same skills as it requires to do that thing in the first place. Or uh, if you're not good at something, then there's a good chance that you don't have the capacity to realize that, which results in overestimating your own abilities. And uh, before you, before some of you get offended, I'm pointing at myself here first and foremost, because I'm no exception to that. I even started this podcast about photography in the belief that I was good at it, which honestly, looking back at that time, 
<sighs> I really wasn't that good. I I had a lot to learn, and of course, I still do, which makes this uh, so much fun for me. Just just uh, that after so many years, I understand that I still have to learn a lot, and much later, one of those important realizations was that that uh, had I not overestimated my skills at the time and my eye for composition and my tech prowess and everything, had I not overestimated those, I would have probably never started Tips from the Top Floor in the first place. Yes, Tips from the Top Floor, the podcast that, that ended up becoming one of the biggest and most wonderful learning opportunities of my entire life. I can't overstate how much I owe to this show. In hindsight, this is all very obvious. And and I think that's how many things start, many good things. I believe that, uh, that's the realization, I believe that a certain inability to understand how bad you are at something, a certain level of, the, of, of being caught in the Dunning-Kruger effect, especially early on, I now firmly believe that while watching that might be cringe-inducing to some people by watch, but while watching that in, in someone else. It's also a really important self-protection mechanism. It's a mechanism that protects you from giving up early on because you can't understand how much you don't know about something. And after this light bulb moment, after this realization, after understanding that ignorance is sometimes the catalyst for progress... Uh, something interesting happened to me, and that is I've become so much more mild about it. Where where before I would roll my eyes and cringe over someone trying something while clearly being out of their depth, I now know that that's an important mechanism. And it has had an influence on the way I teach. So, I'm, I'm yeah, I, be, I believe that realizing that that is an important thing to to progress um, has made me a better teacher. So yeah, that was a pretty profound realization for me, and that's pretty much all I wanted to say about this. Uh, if you see some th someone who loves doing something, someone who's enthusiastic about something without really being good at it, uh, yeah, may I suggest to just cringe a bit less, give give them the benefit of improvement over time, because that's what often happens if you stick with something. Anyway, let's um, let's say hi to this week's sponsor. We all use batteries, and especially us photographers, we need them for our for our flashes, for our transmitters and receivers, for remote controls, for audio recorders, and for a lot of other stuff. And Eneloop Pro are my first choice when it comes to rechargeable batteries. I've used them since pretty much the day they were available. Um, here, <laughs> let me. Let's go to my battery box. Here's here's what Eneloop sound like, <laughs> which is certainly important for batteries. How they sound right now? Um, this is an audio podcast. This is the best I can do to show you uh, the batteries. But 
In all seriousness, rechargeable batteries are awesome because for every time you charge them, you won't have to buy disposable ones many, many hundreds of times. And Eneloop Pro perform like a pro with uh, 2,500 milliamp hours in their double A's. And uh, the one thing that I loved about them from the start is that they hold their charge. And that really is one of my favorite features. Leave them in the drawer leave them in the drawer charged, pull, pull them out one year later and they still are 85% charged. No more surprises at that crucial moment when you need power right now. Eneloop Pros are ideal for your camera gear and they come in AA and AAA sizes and they come pre-charged with 100% solar energy. So next time you're looking at batteries, reduce some battery waste, save on battery costs, check out Eneloop Pro. I use them every day. And uh, thanks to Eneloop Pro for supporting tips from the top floor and for supporting independent content producers in general. That is pretty awesome. All right, let's get Alan on the line. I don't know. What, we're down, what, what are we talking about? Oh, wait, we're talking about us being obsolete, right? Us, yes. Definitely, definitely, well, definitely me. <laughs> are you? Oh, by the way, is your lower third okay? My lower third? Uh, yeah. Is that Looking fine? You in the technical, technical jargon. Yeah, perfect. Good. All right. Um, yeah, welcome to Tips from the Top Floor. Alan, how are you doing? Where do I look? Do I look at the camera? But you're like right there. Okay, so I'm trying I, to figure it's, it's, it's out. It's not important. This is a this is an audio podcast first and foremost. And uh, for anyone listening to this, this part, only this part is in video. So you can go over to YouTube. Uh, link is uh, in the show notes. And you can watch this part on video. And the rest is audio because I've decided that if I do tips from the top floor in video and audio, then I won't make enough episodes because it's way too much hassle so uh <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting things pieces of the show on video and gotcha if you're listening then go to video if you're watching on video uh, just know there's more in front of this and after this so there's a link to the audio so let's see if this works i have no idea if this works how much okay. how much video do you do you do you're a video guy Z uh like video work, video YouTube. I do. I do nothing right now. COVID, nothing. COVID. I know that. That's why you having me on is probably a horrible <laughs> error. <laughs> yes. okay. We can talk about all the things I wish I was doing. Well, in the in 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 one of the last episodes, we talked about ten years of uh, the invisible camera. So that's uh, the one thing that we don't have to repeat in this episode because um, it's there if you haven't seen it description has the links um yeah and then we decided to bring you on this show and talk about things and uh we want to talk about us being obsolete right obsolescence yeah haven't you always been obsolete though when when did you first feel like you were obsolete <laughs> i'm i'm not even sure i'm not even sure um yeah you, you're right i i don't think i was ever not obsolete in one way or another right yeah I was, it was not nothing i was ever concerned about i think we we I've, I've heard of many many milestones along the technology road um <laughs> i've said oh well yeah well we're gonna be obsolete the sky is falling and and that, you read this on all the blogs and see it on people talking about it and what about this what about this i never felt that way even as the technology marched on well, we're going to two megapixel cam cameras now you're out, you're out of a job. Well, I, I never felt that way. 
I mean, I think we can look at it from from two different perspectives. There's the technology perspective, and then there's the um, is is someone who knows how to handle a camera still needed, right? Um, a good example, a good example of obsolescence in photography uh, goes back to 2013, which is um, when the you will remember this when the Chicago Sun Times, big newspaper in the U.S., uh, laid off their entire uh, photography staff. Right. Everyone, 28 people, poof, gone from one day to the other. Um, and they, 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 they just replaced them with, well, the reporters who were out there doing the stories anyway, and just gave them iPhones and said, take, you take the photos now. <sighs> that, yeah, that started even earlier. I mean, in where I'm from in Vancouver, I know a lot of the, the reporters were doing that. They just, they, I, Playing sports and, and growing up playing uh, baseball, we, we always knew the photographer who right. would come out, a guy named Mark, great photographer, yeah. and uh, he just stopped coming. And ultimately, the, the reporter said, yeah, they, they just had me take a couple of snaps with my, at the time, probably like a Nikon 3100 or 2100 or whatever they were called, a little two megapixel point and shoot, and that was good enough for the newspaper. They were done. Yeah, and, and it's it's... I think it really depends on where you are because I grew up in a small town in the south of Germany and uh, it's – I think one of the one of the papers had a real staff photographer and the other newspaper didn't. So from the start, they were pretty much doing double duty. And uh, yeah, it showed in the photography. <laughs> I mean, it clearly did because there was, there was nothing um, – there was nothing really photographic about the photography it was more like capturing the event someone shaking someone else's hand handing over a big fake check and stuff like that because yep. uh, that, that was the important stuff to have it on the shot but it wasn't important that it looked nice it was well framed that didn't really have any importance back then or or very flattering that's what i noticed the big jump would be you know the old old action photos would be taken with like a long lens he'd have like a 400 millimeter lens it would look fantastic. The framing would be great. The action would be perfect. Depth of field would be amazing. Everybody looked great, like professionals. And then after that, it was like, well, but this is what happened. But, you know, you're shooting people with a wide-angle lens up close and not tremendously flattering. Uh, but it it served the purpose. I mean, I think newspapers were on the way out. So, you know, you're fighting a dying battle. Uh, but even back then, like when I first started getting into digital photography and my first DSLR, which I still have over there, by the way, the 40D will not die, no matter hmm. what I do to it. I take it in the in the Mediterranean; it will not it will not stay there. Um, <laughs> but I, that that was a 10 10 mega 12 10 megapixel, regardless 10 megapixel camera, and that's when I heard, you know, oh yeah, you're going to be obsolete. And um, at that point. Let's say a professional with any any decent camera would be taking pictures here, and then the average Joe with the iPhone four would get to about here. That's mm -hmm. about where they could get to. You know, earlier down it was it was quite low. But then the iPhone four probably came around, maybe the five. I'm you, not sure. You're talking you're talking uh, camera quality wise. You're talking picture quality wise. Yeah, picture quality. I mean, but still, I it, I think there was some. Even even though the 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 uh, the smartphones and I think we are in, inevitably going to end up talking about how smartphones are taking over, but of course the smartphones are also taking um, taking creative decisions for you now. 
They are not just making right. sure the shot is well exposed and in focus. Um, they do um, a smartphone nowadays. When you press that button, it has already taken pictures for four seconds, and it keeps taking after you stop pressing the button. There's there's a whole stream of photos that is being taken all the time, and then once you press that button, it pretty much tries to make a decision which of those photos to choose and combine and so on. And I'm pretty sure that there's already some automatic automatisms in there in terms of um, making sure the person has their eyes open and that kind of stuff because that information is there at that point. So well, that's how I shoot generally. Like, like I always have. I've always shot in like at least a three three burst mode for that reason. So I can you know snap three quick ones and pick the one that's best in focus, the best mm-hmm. with the eyes open, etc. Later on, and uh, so it's nice to know that they're doing it for us. Well, not just that. They're not just selecting one. They are combining four, five, six, seven photos together right. and uh, take the best part of each and uh, and combine them into like at different ex- at different shutter speeds. Even so, for like night photography, um, they have long exposures in there, and they combine two or three and make sure everything is nice and sharp. And uh, all this, all that stuff that that us skillful pros um, know how to do, is mm-hmm. a lot of that is now in the cameras. Yeah, and, and like I said, I'm okay with that. So back in the day, the iPhone four got you here. And then now it's it's still getting you here. It's not getting you all the way. That's what I find. Like there's you still, still need to. Yes. Well, there's still, as the Germans say, the Augenblick, right? But well, I mean, that's that's the other side of photography that we can talk about. Um, in the end, the actual timing decision um, is still yours to make. The framing is still yours to make. Those cameras don't do framing for you. Um, those cameras. Those those cameras don't do the interaction for you. Like if you shoot pictures of people, um, there is way more than just taking that picture and making it technically good. But you have to speak to that person. You have to interact with that person. You have to get that person to be at ease with you. You have to get that person to, I don't know, do something in front of the camera. The the first time I I remember the first time I did like a like a proper photo session with someone that was really awkward because I wasn't. I hadn't practiced that. I didn't really right. uh, know how to how to open up their their shell, how to how to bring them out of that uh, from from behind that barrier that everyone is kind of behind when they have a camera, a big fat camera pointed at them. I find the big difference now is it, it, it was the same for me, and it still it still is the same because I want people to behave naturally, but I also want to bring them out of their shell, and and that's hard to do. What do you? How do you? do that to each individual person. But I find the big challenge now, especially in the last five years with the, the complete blow up of smartphones, like every, like every, at this point, every single person has, some people's smartphones have their own smartphones at this point. It's gotten out of hand, (laughs) which means most everybody is aware that they are on camera. Right. At all times. And they behave accordingly. So I see a lot of, especially younger people, behaving in, in person as if they are on the Instagram currently. Which I think you kind of per- permanently are now anyway, because there's cameras everywhere. Oh, and by the way, right. after after the last uh, 12 months, people are way more used to speaking into a camera, to talking to a camera than they've ever been before. 
Yeah, that's true. I guess they're a lot more aware of, well, their background and if they're wearing pants. Um, Are you? Spoiler. Maybe. The, 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 but, but what I find hard, I find difficult is to get people to be the best version of themselves and not the best Instagram version of themselves, which is what they're always constantly aware of. Like I'll take pictures of people like for portraits or whatever. And they, they oftentimes are disappointed that they don't look like the Instagram filter version yep. of themselves. Yep. I say, well, that, but that's not real though. Like I, what I'm going to do, I, 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 I kind of have a, a strict personal Photoshop policy. Um, like if I take your picture and there's something temporary on your face, a blemish or something like that, happily, happy to remove it. If you have something that's permanent, um, like I remember a, a client a, a long time ago had their newborn baby and she felt like, like the kid had slightly pointed ears. <laughs> Could you change the, my but, baby's ears? Really? Well, that's the thing. The, the kid, the kid was like six days old. So, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of changes to come, but she had asked me, Hey, can you, can you fix the ears? And I said, no, no, I, I won't. Uh-huh. I, I won't do it. Uh, because the kid's ears are, are going to be fine. He's not an elf. He's going to be just fine. But you'll want to remember this time. You don't want me to change the the past for when you look at this in the future. Hmm. So, uh, but people are disappointed by that, and and so I still think that there is a level of ability that a good photographer brings with a decent camera, but that gap is closing, and the perception is in the client's eyes. So I, I know I can tell the difference difference between my photos and someone else's computational iPhone photo that looks amazing, by the way, like with the depth of field and, oh, and the whole tricks they're doing, and and it's and it's good enough for most people. That's the interesting thing. Um, yes, it, I I remember just a, a few months so not a few months ago, <laughs> feels like a few months ago <laughs> before COVID. Um, I, the time has no meaning now. No, it doesn't. I was I was at my parents' place, and my mother needed a new photo for her website because she has that cookbook thing going on, and uh, she needed a new photo for some publication. And um, of course, she didn't tell me up front, so I didn't bring my in quotes good camera. Um, so yeah, I decided to find a, a good background, to find a nice spot, good light, and uh, use the iPhone in portrait mode, and just. Um, artificially throw the background of focus that photo is perfectly good there is nothing wrong with that photo and uh, it works really well in the context of a of a publication I'm not sure I'd, I'd want to blow it up and uh, print it on the wall but um, it still uh, it serves the purpose really really well because because um, of that but I mean yes I think we can agree there is a certain level of uh, a certain motion towards us becoming obsolete in some fields in some areas or our skills becoming obsolete in some areas and i'm okay with that i I, for me it's it that's an opportunity to to expand to do other things um i always look at this like i i I remember way back one of the other fallacies of of being a professional photographer is that you know you have to to work for a low price and and you know so you'll have a client come in and you'll you'll give them a, a an estimate for a thousand dollars a thousand euros let's say and they look at you and they say well i was expecting to pay 200 euros mm-hmm. and so now yeah exactly but now you're kind of you at some point in your career you felt sort of obliged to work with them and figure something out but 
early on, I realized, okay, that job was never mine. It was never going to happen. So I never looked at it like, okay, I'm out a thousand euros now. I just, I didn't take the job and realized it was never going to be mine. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about photography now is that if, if somebody says to me, okay, great, like I can do 80% with my iPhone, what do I need you for? I think, yeah, you don't. You don't need me. I'll do something else. And and by the way, being able to replace a lot of that with a smartphone is, of course, it's, it's changing perception of people. Um, I remember when I got into uh, f into pro photography and uh, I didn't have any budget. So uh, the DSLR I got was the 300D, the first digital rebel by Canon, which was silver. And it was massively frowned upon by professionals because it wasn't black. So right. um, th there is a certain, or there used to be, I'm not sure, um, but, uh, but at least back then there, there used to be the, 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 the need to, uh, to convince your customer, to convince the client that you are worth your salt, that you are worth being paid because you have the big equipment and you have uh, the the camera to show for it, even though it doesn't matter. The camera does not matter. You can shoot pictures, really good pictures with an iPhone. But what would happen nowadays if you came to a professional job and just used your iPhone? Wouldn't that be in the perception of the of the client be as if they, I don't know, asked their, their son <laughs> to take those photos? I always wonder that because... Yeah, I always also wonder if I show up for a job driving, uh, you know, like a beat up old car that's barely running, how will the client that's, feel? Like, why that's am I why you park around the corner. You park around the corner, take that's the bus, something like that. But or 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 if you show up with a you know in a brand new Ferrari, they think, well, I'm now I'm overpaying you. You know, like either way, you feel like you're overpaying because what where, where is that money going? Um, you have but, to wear it with pride. That's what you have to do. That's right. But I, I, I remember having to sort of feel the need to justify your equipment as well. And you want to look the part. And I find now this is a blessing, though, because, yeah, you're right. If you show up with an iPhone, you're probably not going to get paid, which is the sad reality. But I find where I bring value, where, where, where the customer can't get to, is in time. And, and because I can shoot things very, very quickly in the first or second shot, and that's that. And in the past, I used to try to kind of justify that by taking longer because a client would come over for a photo shoot. I know I have it in four seconds. I know I have what they want, but I felt like I needed to kind of put a half an hour in to make sure they feel like they got their money's worth. Yep. Whereas now I don't feel that. I think they kind of understand that I'm saving them time. Thus, that's why it costs money. There's a there's a uh, some some audiobooks you can get cheaper unabridged and more expensive abridged because that will save people time. I did not know that. Yeah, it's weird. So you pay more for the for the shortened version, which doesn't have all the content, but someone took the time and effort to make it shorter for you and uh, quicker to. So I used to always to buy the director's cut DVD and was mostly disappointed. It was over, always longer. You're overpaying. There's a reason it was cut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's interesting things happening right now. There's consolidation in the in the uh, in the stock photography market. I mean, Getty bought iStock Photo. They now bought Unsplash. So they um, 
for those who don't know, Unsplash.com is this free photography portal, um, which is now under under Getty. And apparently they don't want to change anything, but um, they are kind of grabbing pieces of the market here and there, um, which I find interesting because a lot of the photos on Unsplash are professional grade, but they are not made by professionals. So creativity and you can license these for free well i've not been on unsplash that's how unsplash is unsplash is it started i think off as a community of uh, just let's exchange photos so if you need a photo for your blog um go to unsplash get one and uh you can just use it don't no credit required nothing and photographers just want to get give back to that community that's how it started but it became bigger and i think their business model was access to an api so there's like some tools that have unsplash built in um as a photo source so if you want to write an article in some tool um and need a need a picture of i don't know yellow flowers then uh you can just add one without having to go to a, an expensive stock site or something um but that's now under getty so there's a consolidation in the market there's a consolidation in the camera market i mean if you look at the sales figures for DSLRs, I'm a hundred percent sure the, the the DSLRs that I own right now that those are going to be the last cameras with a mirror that I will own. There's no I question feel the about same that. Way. Yeah, There's no it, question I, about that. Yeah, but you and I have different needs. I mean, for me, I I love the fact that that there are now mirrorless cameras that make that hybrid video uh, photo leap much much smaller like it's it's such an easy thing to do the dslr shoots great video but it's cumbersome and so mm -hmm. for me that that technology is fantastic uh i don't know how it's going to be I, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to be like to shoot photos with like that have you shot much with the mirrorless uh no i've i've, I've played with them uh monica has a, a nikon z6 i think um which is a brilliant camera it's it's really brilliant. The reason I was a bit hesitant in the past was because they were still not as fast in terms of um, in terms of the um, in terms of the the, the, the live view because it's a screen, mm -hmm. it's being processed. So, uh, but that is pretty much real time now, so that's not the problem. Um, they're not as battery hungry anymore. Still more battery hungry than uh, DSLRs, but it's not really as much of a difference as it used to be. Um, so I'd, I'd be happy to use one technically. And you have lots of advantages. I mean, what you see is what you get um, mm -hmm. is, is, is certainly helpful. And they are way more video focused as well, but still cover the, uh, the still photo part. Now, becoming obsolete or becoming obsolete in certain areas um, what are we going to do about this? How how do, how are you countering that obsolescence? Are you doing anything um, outside of the photography? Because some of that will go to, uh, in air quotes, amateurs, people who are not doing this uh, full-time, for example. Um, I weep openly for the first three hours of the day. And, and we all then do. And then uh, after that, no, I, this started a couple of years ago, and it wasn't even an obsolescence for me. It was a shift that uh, I was feeling very, very unfulfilled with photography. Not with photography, but with the digital nature of it. And uh, yeah. the fact that, that even though I, I do print 
most of my work, which you can't see here. It's not not there. Um, you're, you're a bit like, like I, you're a bit like Johnny Ive uh, in this white room, just that yours is blue. That's right. That's right. I was hoping you were going to Superman blue screen me here, but uh, the. <laughs> So I, I was feeling very unfulfilled with a lot of my work was essentially ones and zeros on a hard drive somewhere. And I, I just, I, I like taking photos. I, I, I'm not bowing out of it. I, I continue to do it. My kids are uh, seven and 10 years old almost. And so I take a lot of photos of them and still, I still work you know, professionally in photos and video, but it's those ones and zeros that I can't touch. And, and so a couple of years ago, I decided, you know what? I really needed to get into, into woodworking. I wanted to build something I could touch. And so a year ago, coincidentally, right at the beginning of, of this mess we find ourselves <laughs> in with the pandemic, I started doing that. I started building a shop in my, in my uh, basement with a table saw and all the saws that you need. Uh, still have 10 fingers, by the way. Do you, do you, do you have a background in that? I, I know your father did a lot of that. Yeah, I grew up, my dad had a shop, still does, uh, in, in Vancouver. And I grew up doing that. But like any kid, I at some point, I just didn't care anymore. I wanted sure. to play baseball, and play road hockey with my friends and those sorts of things. And so I kind of didn't, I just stopped doing it and kind of wanted to get back into it. And so speaking of obsolescence, this is the, this is, The opposite of that is YouTube. Have you heard of YouTube? I uh, think uh, barely, but yeah, I think I know what it is. It's like Vimeo, but like way bigger, I think. Ah, there we go. And so on, if you go onto YouTube, there are a ton. There's, there's, there's a million different woodworkers putting out tutorial videos. I'm well aware of that, yes. Five, five good guys who do it, uh, who do it well. And uh, so I, I follow them, and, and the long story short is I've been building learning to build furniture, um, self-taught via these other guys. This is interesting. So, so there's this saying um, that uh, during, during the gold rush, the people who, make, who made the money were not the gold diggers, but those who sold them the shovels. And yeah. uh, for, for me, I mean, th there was always this element of imminent obsolescence in some way, because I, you know me, I love teaching and... Um, a lot of that over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years went to YouTube, as you just said, right? Um, mm -hmm. so, so the workshops have... Oh, your camera just went off. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. <laughs> so um, with that, the, the workshops have changed. They have, um, they have pretty much... They're still relevant, but um, they have the the community experience part has become more important. The meeting other people part has become more important because that is impossible to replicate online. And um, like the the quick chat over uh, the coffee break, um, we're social beings, so that part of it was always kind of important, and it's it's becoming more important now. Of course, for the last year there were no workshops, but um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, same with the travel. Travel, being there is still valued high. Being there at the actual spot, you can watch videos as much as you like, but being there is, is um, has more value. But uh, of course, now there's uh, the whole we can't travel thing. And even if we could, there's the whole climate thing. So um, that's, a, that's an area that I am still struggling with at this point. 
But um, yeah, but you you I mean you you made the shift very very early on that with the the workshops and the travel workshops as well because um, where, where I first noticed the 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 big shift online is is actually I, my my first experience with that would be someone like David Hobby Strobist mm-hmm. who I had up to that point I had never seen anybody just give knowledge away like that. <laughs> Yes. He he was happy to do it. Like he he just it probably still is. You know, I guess he just doesn't run the blog as much. But that was a very transformative experience for me when I was learning photography because I went to film school and learned. You know, we made movies and that. And I moved to Germany. Always loved photography, but when I moved to Germany, I spoke zero German, and so I, I it was difficult to make movies. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't edit work here. So I made the shift into photography, and he was a big help in that. Is, is reading his blog and getting up to speed on, okay, well, how do you do flash photography? How do you do off-camera flash? What is it? Like, I had, I had no background in it, and he put it out there. And everything else I had read up to that point was, well, I'll tell you a little bit. And then but, you have to buy the program. And then buy the program, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, was, that was kind of my approach from, from, from the very first podcast uh, that I recorded was, um, this, this is a free resource, and I love giving this away and stuff will come back in some way or another and that has proven to be uh to be to be working to be right um over the years it, even though in the beginning that was really tough but um but i think i believe and i've always worked this way is that as a photographer nowadays um you you have to set yourself up in a, in a bit of a broader fashion right for uh, for me, that is things that are all still in the realm of photography, but I don't know, there's the online coaching, there's uh, some commercial video production work that I do on the side. Um, there's there's even consulting for remote video productions, but it all stays in that realm of photography. Um, and interestingly enough, even when I started doing this full-time, I never trusted in it staying that way right. i knew that change is inevitable and so uh kind of instinctively from the start i set myself up with several legs to stand on so to speak yeah i, I hadn't thought of that at the time i mean when i started our podcast the two hosers and we we give away everything for free we tell you everything you know you hopefully want to know as a beginner um and it was never never designed to be uh Okay, now we'll substitute the paywall in there. Let's, let's figure out how to how to make money on this. It was how do I expand that into other w- areas where I do add value. I try to always be a value add to any situation I'm in, not just how do I extract money because I find that you spend more of your time trying to figure out how to extract the money than you do adding value. That is very true. I've learned that the hard way in a few instances. Sure, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, no. So so uh, that that's that's my that's been my mantra from the start: do do good things or try to do good things, and good things will come back to you, in one way or another. So that's I, how you that's how you avoid obsolescence. Yeah, I, and I think that's that's a good thing to to to, to um, close that circle. We, I think, we can acknowledge that we are going to be obsolete in some ways. Or what you do is obsolete. Changes everywhere. Changes always. Changes. Uh, just a factor that you have to to factor in from the start, and uh, 
I think my, my biggest piece of advice would be to don't set yourself up to, for just one thing because that might bite you later down the road. Uh, I second that. How about that? Okay. Alan, um, you just mentioned the two hosers. Twohosers.com. That's where we can find you. Twohosers.com. You can go find everything you want to know about hosers, I guess. Well, I think you explained it to me a long time ago. Hosers is something Canadian. It's a, it's a slang for Canadian, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, should I should I ask further or will I just Google you can, it? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, I, I don't know the actual, the actual, uh, uh, I've heard stories about where it came from, but there's a famous, famous story about Bob and Doug McKenzie, two Canadian uh, uh, characters from SCTV, uh, Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, you may, may, maybe you've heard of him. That maybe one not. I know, yep. Okay, so they, they, they were doing a show, so back in the old days, and maybe today still, I don't know how it worked, in Canada, the Canadian TV stations, they wanted more Canadian content. It's all about CanCon, 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 bring more Canadian stuff. So they decided they were going to go so over the top and just make a complete mockery of the Canadian content. <laughs> and they did the most Canadian thing of all time. And uh, so they had the show, uh, it's the Great White, the Bob and Doug McKenzie What's the show called? The Great White North. And uh, so you can see those on the, you can find them on YouTube now. I highly recommend them. Very, very funny. And that was where Adam uh, Schwartz and I, that's where we got our name from because it was two hosers doing a, a photo show and that became the two hosers photo show. All right. So go, everyone, go check it out. Everything for the beginning photographer and getting more and more advanced over the years. So uh, you, you are way beyond the this is what shutter speed is and uh, this is what an aperture is. Um, we, yeah, that was the that was 10 years ago. That was the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we first started, Adam knew absolutely nothing. He didn't know how to open the box, how to get the camera out. And that's where we started. And now he's a pro. Now, now he, he's a pro. Yeah, he can... He's got like four or five off-camera flashes. He can do it all. Yeah. All right. Alan, thank you so much. Thank you. And that was it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for being around. And all right, this... This super weird thing just happened. I have to tell you, uh, just as I was finishing editing this episode, the doorbell rang here at the Viewfinder Villa and there was a fireman outside and I remember he told me that we had to evacuate the house for a couple of hours. Turns out they found an unexploded anti-aircraft grenade from the Second World War, like just a few hundred feet, uh, feet distance from the Viewfinder Villa. And they... They had to detonate the grenade in place, which... Okay, so in Germany. In Germany, bigger cities uh, still have uh, almost, almost as a regular occurrence unexploded ordnance from the Second World War. And they find them when doing construction work, digging in the ground. And um, there's, they're, they're pretty good at taking care of that. Um, but here, out, out here in the countryside, this just doesn't happen too often. Never, actually. <laughs> anyway, the entire village went uh, to the firehouse. We got some coffee. And then after a while, it went boom in the distance and we could return home. So 
that was my first time being evacuated for an unexploded ordinance. That's just crazy. Anyway, a special thanks goes out to all you amazing Patreon supporters and those with uh, direct donations. Love you guys. You are really making a difference these days. Um, if you would also like to join this band of wonderful people, there's a website, a uh, web page with uh, information on how to help at tfttf.com support. Thank you. And of course, music for the show by Jeff Smith, sound partner in HP Gagarud, publishing and Slack challenges by Release Pixie, Matt Rapsitor, Armstead, Slack imitations by Chief Invitation Officer, CIO Rusty Russ. The link to get to the Slack is in the show notes or at tfttf.com slash whyslack, W-H-Y-S-L-A-C-K. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at Chris M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Now go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. Don't forget to wear a mask. And happy shooting. Happy shooting.